I want to take a break in our series on the coming of the Lord. And I want to talk about this day, which is a very prophetic day. We're celebrating Palm Sunday. So I want to give you a real clear picture of this. And this is why. This Sunday and next Sunday, we are going to build, for those of you who know the Lord, you have to know that you know that you know that the Word of God is true. That Jesus lived on this earth. That he actually lived. That he actually is your healer. And that every, see, we're not, we're not here as a religion doing a religious act. This is about a relationship with the God of heaven. The only one who's ever come out of the tomb. My first semester of college, I was in a speech class at Saddleback College in, in Southern California. And so we come towards the end of the semester, and the last speech was a long speech. It was, you know, if you could imagine, like 15 minutes or something crazy like that. And uh, I mean, I know pastors that preach 15 minutes, and I'm like, that's absolutely supernatural. You know, for me to preach, I can't do anything for 15 minutes with my mouth, right? Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I go to the teacher, you had to pick a subject, it was a persuasive speech. And I went to the teacher and I gave her, we had to give her our subject and she had to approve it. And so my subject was, I want to persuade our class that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Right? And so she looked at me and she's like, she goes, Tony, you have an A in this class and this is 50% of your grade. And so she goes, a persuasive speech, you have to have evidence, sound evidence of what you're saying. Otherwise, I have to give you an F. And this is a lady that literally started the speech program at Saddleback College when they started. And so she goes, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe that, but I can't grade you by that belief. I have to look at what you have. And I said, no problem. <laughs> we kind of with fear and trembling because I mean, what did I know when I was 18 years old, right? So I came back and I'll never forget. And I, I preached this, well, I, I, I did this persuasive speech like I'm doing today uh, about that. And, and have you ever heard the scenario, Jesus either was who he said he was, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic, right? He really thought he was God, but he wasn't. He was a lunatic. Or he was just lying, or actually he was who he said he was. And just a real simple thing, I found out there is more evidence of the life of Jesus secularly than there is George Washington. So, you know, there's so much... And the Lord laid the whole thing out. And at the end of it, you had to go back and she would give you a piece of paper with your grade on it. And so after the speech was over, and I got to minister to many people in our class because the end of my speech was that if you want more information about that, I'd, I'd love to talk to you, you know. And we got people saved and, and uh, it, was, it was interesting. Got into some interesting debates or whatever too, but whatever, you know. Um, the nice thing about, now back then I had a lot of zeal with very little knowledge, um, uh, but it was, it's all good. God uses you. But I go back to get my grade and the teacher's paper was blank. And I'm like, 
oh, that's not good, you know, because that means you go 50% of your grade is an A and the other is a F. I don't know where that ends up, but it doesn't help your GPA at all, right? And so, and so she looked up at me and she, she, she had tears in her eyes and she goes, because it was the anointing of God on it, right? You talk about Jesus. And she said, Tony, I apologize that I didn't critique you. But she says, in all of my years here at Saddleback College, she said, you hit every point perfectly. You met every criteria perfectly in this persuasive speech. But she said, I'm never in the, in the history, I think she had been there 20 years or whatever, I had never... I'd never, ever not graded somebody because I didn't want to miss anything. And so she, you know, and, and I've said that not to, not because I'm anything, obviously it's, it's Jesus is real. The Lord said this to me a couple years ago. He said, Tony, he said, many of my children live their whole life as if I'm not real, Right. And, and, and boy, we don't, we don't want to live our life that way. He is real today. He is your healer. Amen. You need to realize that this day that we're celebrating is, is for real. Jesus redeemed you. You're free today if you know him. Right? You're free. You have all authority that Jesus had. He's your healer. He's your provider in every way. So let's talk about this a little bit. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 11. And we have to lay the foundation of this. John chapter 11, we're going to look at verse 21. Now this is backing up in the life, in the the earthly ministry of Jesus. And this is the story of Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Many of those people that were there on, on what they call Palm Sunday, you know, when he, when he was riding on that donkey to proclaim himself as the Messiah King of Israel, many of the people who were there were, were from people who heard of Jesus and were astonished at the fact that Lazarus was raised from the dead. So, but I want, we have to define the resurrection as we go into this. In John 11, verse 21, it said, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said to her, Now how clear is this? Your brother shall rise again. Okay? Martha said unto Jesus, I know that he'll rise in the resurrection at the last day. See, Martha is thinking that the resurrection is a day. But I want want this to forever be burnt into your spirit. The resurrection is not a day. Like next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we call it Resurrection Sunday. But resurrection, Jesus said it here. Jesus said unto her, I am 
the resurrection. She, he's like, Martha, listen, here's the deal. The resurrection is not a day. I'm the resurrection. Wow. Now, why is that significant in, in your life or my life? Have you ever, through your actions, destroyed anything? Done wrong stuff? I mean, maybe none of you have. Maybe, maybe I'm just talking. Philip, maybe just, it's just you and I. I don't know, you know? We're, I have a feeling our club's a little bigger than just you and I, maybe. But you need to know today as you sit here, he is your resurrection. That means you have it now. You're not waiting for some day. Isn't that good news? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead. Boy, I could say amen to that. I was dead. Yet shall he live. Oh, can I double amen to that? Because I was dead, but now I'm alive. Right? And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? And look at how she responded. She said unto him, yes, Lord. Now notice this. Jesus said, now what is Jesus always doing? He's helping people get in faith. So he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? Jesus is saying today, do you believe it? Now notice how, how Jesus knew that she believed it. Look at what happened. The next thing she said unto him. I'm telling you, if you believe, you will speak. We having the same spirit of faith, we believed, right? And therefore we've spoken. We still believe and, we, and therefore we speak. Speaking will always be a result of believing. To be honest with you, you always speak what you believe. So if you're running around saying, I'm a worm, I can't do this, I'm never going to have anything, that's what you believe. I've got good news for you today. Jesus is your resurrection, and you could put his word, you could put it in your heart, it will pull out all that nonsense out of your mind, and it will change your speech. And if you want to know more about that, we just started a whole series on confession on Wednesday nights. But it says here, she said unto him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. She's basically saying, I know you're the Messiah, the anointed one. You are the son of God, which should come into the world. Wow. So now let's go down verse 41. So now after this event, now Jesus goes to the tomb. And in verse 41 then they took away the stone. Now, here is another part of this. So now, I'm telling you, if you're believing God at some point, you're going to you're gonna have to literally put your whole reputation on the line. You're going to have to come public with it eventually. Why is that? Does God make you do that? Nope. No, no. It's just part of it. Satan will make you do that. He'll create environments, so don't be afraid of that, because remember, it's not your job. 
It wasn't Jesus's job to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's very obvious from the teachings of Jesus that Jesus didn't raise him from the dead. His father did. Right? So in the same way, when you lay hands on the sick, it's not your job to heal the sick. It's your job to lay hands on them and to believe and to speak. And it's his job to back up his word, which he always will. So they took away the stone. Now think about it. There was a belief that the spirit of a man, when they would die, would hang around for three days. So this is why Jesus, now, now there's different thoughts. The Jews were trying to kill him. And there's a thought that maybe Jesus stayed away because he knew that they, they were going to be there to try to get him, whatever. We know this, he stayed away because the Holy Spirit led him to, right? But now four days had passed. So this body would have been, I mean, you're talking, you know, those tombs, they don't have air conditioning. It's hot. The body would be decomposing and it would kind of, you know, stink on steroids, right? Have you ever just driven by even a dead animal on the side of the road, right? So, so they're like, Lord, what you want us to do what? Take away the stone? His body stinks. So then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and look at what he says. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So he had already been praying about this. And I know that you hear me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. Doesn't 1 John 5 say, you know, whenever you pray, if you ask anything according to God's will, he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know that you have what you've asked him for. So then there's nothing else to do but thank him, right? So now here's Jesus. Jesus is not stressed that there's by any chance when that stone is rolled away, there's no chance that Lazarus is not going to be raised, right? Why? Because he's Jesus? No, Jesus operated as a man anointed by God to show you and I how to live. He was fully persuaded. He wasn't sweating. Okay, let's try this. No. To be honest with you, for them to even roll the stone away, there had to be authority there. Right? And it says here in verse 43, And when he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Now, it says he was bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. So he's bound hand and feet, and, and his face is bound. So when he said, Lazarus, come forth, Guess what? This is a type of salvation because there's no way that Lazarus could come forth on his own. In the same way, there is no way that you and I could ever have been born again and made the righteousness of God without God. It was, it was all a work of God, not us. 
So if you could picture this, all the people are probably thinking, especially the people that are like, you know, I actually bound. They wouldn't just put thread around there. I mean, you're like bound, right? Because they don't want anything that's in getting out, if it's at all possible, right? And so the power of God would have had to lift him up. Wow, isn't that kind of what happened to us? Lifted him up. So if you could picture this, there would have been a, there would have been a, a, this, this tomb. They would have rolled the stone away. And now this body would have come hovering out of the tomb. That would probably get people's attention. This is why they were all there on Palm Sunday. I mean, this was supernatural. And then look at what he said. He, Jesus said unto them, because you could, can you just picture this? They're all like, they're like, he's, he, he's just hovering there. And here's Lazarus. He's like, give the guy a break. He just came back to life. He's like, I got to breathe. My face is bound. Right? So he might be... You know, like, hey, I want to get out of here, right? So Jesus, I mean, look at how Jesus has, could you imagine he probably rolled his eyes. He's like, okay, can you loose him and let him go, right? In the same way that Faith Family Church doesn't just want to reach people, we also want to change lives. In other words, God doesn't just want somebody to be saved. He wants somebody to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, have you ever got somebody saved or maybe when you got saved, you were bound in some areas and you needed other people to help you get loosed. This is a great picture. But what I want you to take from this is Jesus is the resurrection. There's four religions in the world now, if I give you an aerial view of religion, there's four of them in the world that are based on a person. Every other religion is based on a philosophy, right? Judaism, which was in Israel, was based on Father Abraham, a man. Abraham, his body is in the tomb. Buddhism was based on the man, Buddha whose body is in the tomb. And Buddha said at the end of his life, I don't even know the truth. Why would you want to be a Buddhist? Right? The next one is Islam, or we would call the Muslim faith. The man is Muhammad, who is in the, is in the tomb, never came out of the tomb. Right? He said at the end of his life, I think that I might be pointing to the truth. But then there's Jesus is the fourth one. Our God, he's alive today. He's not in the tomb. And he didn't say, I don't know the truth. He didn't say, I, well, I think I do. Or I think I'm pointing to the truth. He said, I am the one way. And I am the truth and I am the life. So you want life, there's only one place to get it. Right? So Jesus, 
It's so calculated. It says in the fullness of time, Jesus came to redeem us. At the perfect time, the whole world, because of Alexander the Great, spoke the Greek language. It was perfect. They had built roads going everywhere so the gospel could be changed. Uh, Seventy rabbis got together 300 years or whatever before Jesus came. I don't know the exact amount of years. And they took the Hebrew scriptures, because Hebrew, the people didn't know Hebrew. The common man didn't know it. And 70 rabbis translated the Hebrew scripture into Greek so that every person, the common man, could have the word of God. We call it the Septuagint. Every time Jesus said it was written, he was quoting the Septuagint. It literally brought this ancient language right up to 300 years before Jesus came. It's amazing. He came in the fullness of time. There's 333 prophecies. You could call it fingerprints of God on the birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. He fulfilled everything. Palm, Palm Sunday, see, they would want to make him king. You know, all this, everybody get healed and they wanted, they wanted to make him king. They're like, listen, make, you're going to be, you're king of Israel. Let's, let's take out the Romans. And he would always say, no, 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 this is not my day. This is not my day. Even at the wedding of Cana, he looked at his mom and he's like, why are you coming to me? This is not my day. But we're celebrating his day. Because there was a day that was prophesied by Daniel that literally 69 weeks of years from the time from, from the time Artaxerxes told them to rebuild Jerusalem in 445 BC. From that day to this day of Palm Sunday was exact. He fulfilled every prophecy. Jesus is real. He is Lord, and this word is truth, and it is being attacked as never before. And to that we say, whatever, we're going to stand, right? Because it'll, be, it'll never be overcome, never. So what's really cool, though, is there's over 600 prophecies of his second coming. Wow. So let's talk about this day. In Daniel 9.24, and we went through this, I think, last week a little bit. I'm going to go very fast so you guys will kind of remember. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, uh, Daniel is given a 70-week prophecy from the angel Gabriel. And so, it literally, it says this in Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, talking about Israel, the Jews, and upon thy holy city, talking about Jerusalem. Seventy weeks. It's the Hebrew word Shabuah. It literally means a, a week of years. Seventy weeks of seven years, or 490 years, is determined upon Israel and Jerusalem. So Gabriel is coming to Daniel. He's saying to him, I want you to understand that God has established for the Jewish people and for Jerusalem 490 prophetic years. God says, I owe you those. Now, we know 
that the year they're talking about is not a 365-day year. It's on the lunar calendar. It's a 360-day year. So it's a total of 173,880 days. Okay? It's a mathematical prophecy. So verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand. So this is not something that God says you won't understand. This is something he's saying you need to know and understand this. Daniel needed to. You need to know and understand this even more. Because you're an end time church. You are living, you and I are living in a day where we need to have before our eyes all the time that our king, I'm about to see my king. Now, our life goes fast, but we're talking about our life is probably not going to go long. It's going to, we're going to hear a trumpet say, come up here when the church age ends. And we know we're in the season of his coming. So it says here, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. When did that happen? Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, we know the exact day. On March 14th, 445 BC, he decreed and commanded that they go rebuild Jerusalem. Now, there were three other decrees made, one other one by him, one by Darius, and, and I can't remember the other guy. Uh, oh, I can't remember the other guy. But there were three other decrees, but they were to rebuild the temple. But this decree on March 14th was to rebuild Jerusalem. So when, when he decreed that, Daniel, it says here, from the time this commandment goes forth, March 14th, 445 B.C., until unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, or in other words, 69 weeks of years. So this is, a, this is literally a mathematical prophecy. I'm telling you, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they, they knew he was Messiah. They just were not going to share. They did not want to give up their position. Is that crazy? Spend your whole life studying, but you're so steeped in religion that when the guy shows up, you refuse it because you want people to look at you. Isn't pride a crazy thing? So six, if you take 69 times 7, you have 483 years. So if you take 483 times 360, you have 173,880 days. So if you were to go and you take into account leap years and all this stuff, you would be on Palm Sunday, Wednesday, April 6th. And see, that tilted some people because it's like, well, wait a minute, it's got to be on Sunday. We're so funny. But if you go all those days, you have Jesus on April 6th, A.D. 32, on the very day coming into Jerusalem. This day was prophesied to the day. That's amazing. To the day. 
Zechariah chapter 9 in verse 9 prophesied 400 years before this happened. He said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Or I'm sorry, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto you. See, this was the day that he was pronounced king to Israel. We always think about the day when he comes out of the grave, but this is talking about, this is when he was pronounced. Right? He's like three and a half years into his ministry. This is the fourth Passover that he will have, but on the fourth Passover, he would be the Passover lamb. It says here, he comes to you. He is just. That means he's righteous. And he has salvation. That means he has wholeness. He has deliverance. He has victory. He has prosperity. He has help. He has healing and health. Your king is here. Right? And it says having salvation. And then it says he's lowly. That means he's humble. That means he's meek. This Greek word means power under perfect control. He's lowly and he's riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here we are in AD 32, early spring of AD 32. Jesus is coming in He's, he's on the Mount of Olives. He's coming from Bethany. Bethany to Jerusalem was about two miles. And he's coming. He's coming down this road, Mount of Olives, all this stuff. And people, you got to understand, all the Pharisees that came would have known this. They would have known this prophecy. And they're seeing people wave palm branches. They're seeing people throw throw down palm branches and branches of trees. Then when they ran out of that, they're throwing down their garments, their outer garments, for the king to come into Jerusalem. Wow. We know from scripture that Christ's ministry began in the fall of A.D. 28. Tiberius, he was appointed in 14 A.D., and it says Jesus' earthly ministry started in the 15th year of Tiberius' reign, which would have been 14 years beyond A.D. 14. So we know his earthly ministry exactly would have started in the fall of A.D. 28. It's amazing. John, this, this is what happened in A.D. 28. John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And in John 1.29, it says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. Coming to him, and he said, he said, hey guys, behold, the Lamb of God. He was speaking prophetically. That takes away the sin of the world. Well, if you go, then, then after that, what happened? Jesus was then led up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Right? This happened on the Feast of Tabernacles. He fulfilled that feast. One day for all, every year of disobedience in the wilderness. Jesus fulfilled it all. It's amazing. So now, 
If you go three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, you would literally be at the Passover where we celebrate Easter when he was crucified and then resurrected in AD 32. It's amazing. So now let's jump back. Let's talk about this. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through verse 3. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village or go into Bethpage opposite you, and immediately you will find a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately the person will send them. So many believe, which it makes total sense, that Jesus was staying at Lazarus' home in Bethany. And he was taking this caravan road that ran all the way from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jericho to Jerusalem is about 22 miles, right? It's not, it's not far. It's really kind of amazing when you go to Israel, everything is right there, right? So and it says here in verse 4, all this was done. Why did Jesus say that? Everything he did was to fulfill scripture. In other words, even in his earthly ministry, he was watching over his word to perform it. Just like he did in the Old Testament, just like he's doing today. When he sees his word in your mouth, he will perform it. It says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. This is talking about Zechariah. Saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. He's lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded him. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and then they set Jesus on the donkey. Verse 8 of Matthew 21. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, this multitude of people would have been made up of pilgrims who heard of Lazarus being raised from the dead. It would have been Pharisees, and it would have been disciples who came out to meet Jesus. That would have been this multitude. Verse 9, Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, now this is getting interesting. Hosanna. It means save we pray. Oh, save now. This, that literally, Hosanna is an exclamation of adoration. They were, they were literally worshiping. Hosanna to the son of David. Now that's a Messiah word. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So now... At the exact day, do you think God was trying to keep this day from any of them? No. You got to understand that it was God's will that they saw this day and that they understood this is the day. He is your Messiah, right? The people were publicly acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. So then as the road goes down the descent of the Mount of Olives, Jesus would have seen the whole city. Or the, he would have saw the eastern corner and then ultimately the whole city. The road ascends past the Mount of Olives and then the whole city comes into view. 
So now let's look at Luke's account. I want to just read this story to you so you're getting the full picture of this. Why is this important? Because you need to know when the word of God says, by his stripes you were healed, or when the word of God says, he will meet all of your need. When the word of God says, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you'll be above only and not beneath. When the word of God says that the greater one dwells in you. When the word of God says he always causes you to triumph and always gives you the victory. It is absolutely true. All this nonsense that has been preached by pulpits for 300 years is the bulk of which is ridiculous. God blesses some and not others. You just never know what God's going to do. That's baloney. You'll never hear it is written when that is preached. And we don't care what a theologian thinks. Do you? I don't care what a theologian thinks. I care what the word of God clearly says. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Notice this Christian minister right now, they praise God when they saw mighty works. So mighty works is necessary. If it was necessary in the ministry of Jesus, it's necessary in 2021 in the church. It's time for the church to fall in love with one another and put Jesus first so that miracle signs and wonders can break out so that people will know that Jesus is king. This is not a little club, right? Oh, it's a club, all right. And it's a club for everyone, right? They were saying, blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What are they doing here? They are literally singing from the 118th Psalm. Which that 118th Psalm proclaimed Jesus as Messiah. And some of the Pharisees that were among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace the very stones would cry out immediately. In other words, this is his day. These Pharisees, they didn't want to share. They wanted to be the man. And Jesus is like, nobody's stopping this day. Verse 41 of Luke chapter 19. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it saying, look at this, if you had known Even you, at least in this day, the things which belong to your peace. I wonder if Jesus ever looks at us and goes, Why do you not know, my child, that this is what has been provided for you? You already have the victory. So stand in your authority. Command in Jesus' name that your body be healed, that things change in your life, all this stuff. And you stand in this and I'll back it up. See, look at what happened. These people didn't know. But now they are hid from your eyes. Why? Did God hide it? That's what religion says. But we see from multitudes of scriptures that it's the pride of your heart that blinds a person. Not God. See, it's hid because of the pride of their own heart. 
You won't see anything unless you're in faith. Right? There's Christians running around. They're, they're acting like their life is theirs. Oh, I think I'll serve God here and not serve God here. You know, I don't really feel like reading my Bible and, oh, church, you know, I'll go whatever and, and you know, forgive. Well, you don't know what this guy did to me. And, and they're walking around. They don't realize. I mean, Jesus even said, or the word of God says, you know, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if, and if you received it, why are you acting like you're all that? I can't take any credit for preaching. You know, I, I couldn't preach if I didn't have a tongue. I couldn't preach if my lungs stopped working. Right? I couldn't do anything. Boy, when you, when you, when you realize that your life is tucked away with Christ in God, you're free. And that's when life really begins. It says, for, day, for the day shall come upon you that your enemies shall cast a trench about you and compass thee round and keep you on every side. And they shall lay even thee even with the ground and thy children with thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because you didn't know the time of your visitation. I want you to know today is the day of your salvation don't allow sickness in your body. Don't allow poverty and lack in your life. Don't look at your employer or look at your income potential and, and decide, no, 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 no. God might want you to sow $500,000 into the kingdom. And you might make $30,000 a year. What does that have to do with anything? It has nothing to do with it. See, we gotta, we gotta realize that, that the greater one, God has Zoe eternal life. All things are possible to him who believes. But you got to know the day of your visitation. I'm telling you today, right now in this service, is a day of your visitation. The Spirit of God wants to talk to you, but you have to have ears to hear because he won't be able to if, you're, if you don't have ears to hear. If you're caught up in your life and it's all about you, you'll miss it. And missing the time... You know, we see in an extreme situation, in A.D. 70, this happened. Titus came in, the Roman general, and he conquered Israel. He, he took Jerusalem. He tore every, literally every stone down. Over a million Jews were wiped out, and then they took the rest of them into captivity and spread them all over the world. In other words... They did it. Why did that happen? It was satanically inspired. Wipe them out. If there's any left, spread them all over the world because they cannot come back here. But they did in your lifetime. In May of 1948, for the first time in all of human history, a nation came back Isaiah prophesied not only would they become a nation again, but it would happen in one day, and it happened exactly the way it was prophesied. Oh, church, your life is founded upon something that cannot be changed. You don't have to be sick anymore. 
You don't have to be poor anymore. Don't let circumstances or symptoms in your body overshadow the word of God. Use the authority of God and stand until they leave. Right? So let's go with this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The clock is going too fast. So then in Matthew chapter 21, I'll just skip forward to this. In verse 10, Matthew 21 verse 10, is this helping you this morning? We're talking about Palm Sunday, but aren't we talking about your life today? You are victorious. You are successful. You are the healed, right? You're not trying to be. You are, so all this stuff, you are free. So all this junk in your life has to bow, not to you, but to who you are in Christ. The Bible says whoever's born of God overcomes the world. But what's the victory? It's our faith. We simply believe it. Matthew 21, verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus went to the temple and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, Look at this. Everything he did, he said to them, It is written... Now he's going to quote Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then something happened. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. It's real interesting about blindness. Jesus only healed the blind in Jerusalem. Why? I have no idea. But the blind and lame came to him. And he healed them. He didn't heal some of them. He healed all of them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. Now notice this. If you are operating in selfishness or self-centeredness, that is a manifestation of the law of sin and death. It will blind you. These Pharisees, these religious leaders saw blind people's eyes open. They saw lame people who could not walk, walk, all of them. And look at what they did. Look at their response. When they saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna, oh, save, save now is what that means to the son of David. See, again, this is Psalm 118. Do you know Psalm 118 was pronounced at the Feast of Tabernacles? Why do we call this Palm Sunday? Because they would wave palms when they would say it. That's why they were way. I mean, this, all these people, all these religious leaders are going, oh my gosh, this is the day. You know that song, this is the day that the Lord has made. We, we always say, you know, we will rejoice and be glad in it. I tell the Lord that every day. I thank you for this day. But that, that psalm is talking about this day. It's talking about when the king, when the Messiah came and he wasn't in a town healing people and then saying, now don't tell anybody. No, now he's going, hey, I'm the king. I'm here. 
Know the day of your visitation. It's been prophesied 400 years. It was prophesied by Daniel, prophesied by Zechariah. This is the day. I'm telling you guys, this is your day. It's your day. Your life is not some divine experiment. God has a divine purpose for your life. And he's for you. Hallelujah. It says that they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you ever read? And he's going to quote another scripture. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. I love the way Jesus, look at how he answered everything with his word. In other words, he stood upon the word of God like we should. So they're publicly acknowledging him. Now jump down to verse 28. Matthew chapter, well actually you're in 21. Go to Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Why did Jesus come? It says in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man, he came not to be ministered unto. Notice what Jesus was doing in the temple. On his day, he was healing. He was drawing. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He came to minister, it says. That Greek word means he came to serve and to give his life a ransom. This means an atonement. This means he came to pay a ransom so that others could be made free. That's why he came. He came to die for you and me. Wow. Don't ever think you're not special. God shed his blood to redeem you. So that you can, how much did God want to know you? Some people run around thinking, man, I have no friends. You know, I just don't have any friends. Well, the God of heaven thought enough of you to shed his blood and, and send his son so that you could know him, or in other words, so that he could be in relationship with you. Wow, I love that. To give his life as a ransom for many. See, here's the deal. Here's a principle, and I hope this blesses you and wakes you up. You always will pursue what you desire. All you got to do is look at your schedule and you'll tell, do I really desire God or do, just, do I have some warm fuzzies about him because I'm in a word of faith church and I want him to bless me and I need him to bless me. You'll never get very far like that. But here's God. Does he get mad at that? No, no, he still tries to, he tries to get in your life any way he can because he just, he knows. See, why does he pursue you and value you? Because he knows you. He knows who you really are. And once you start to peer into him, you'll get to know who you really are in him. Luke 9, 56 says this, for the son of man, he didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, listen, the thief, 
Satan, he comes and he's coming to do this, to steal and he's coming to kill and he's coming to destroy. But Jesus said, but listen, guys, I'm revealing to you the dividing line of the Bible. I have come that you might have my Zoe life and that you might have a more than enough supply of it. Wow. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, he talks about Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus paid everything so that you and I could walk free. Isn't that awesome? See, the problem is not that man's a sinner. The problem is that man is spiritually dead. Sin is just the byproduct. Sin is the symptom, but the root is spiritual death. But God came and redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessing of Abraham would come upon us. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. 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 So I'll close with this. Ephesians 2.10. This is who you are because of what he did. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. It's the Greek word poema. We get our word poem from this word. This word, this word literally means that you are God's work of art. He created that work of art in Christ. You were created in Christ. You could, you could render this, for we are his masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And you were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. So put up the Amplified Classic of that. Let's look at that last part. He, God ordained that we should walk in them. Look at what, look at what the parenthetical definition is. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew that we may do those good works which God predestined, he preplanned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. He's Jehovah Jireh. Look at this. This is what I want you to see, that we should walk in them. Here is the Greek parenthetical definition of that. Living the good life. Wow. Isn't that interesting that he puts you in, in, in Nebraska? Don't you? Don't you? Yeah, we're in, but we're, what is Nebraska? The good life, right? I wonder, I wonder if maybe we as Nebraskans are supposed to teach the people of Nebraska and have it go all over the world living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God has a good life for you. And, and this pandemic and, and this UK breeding thing of it and, and masks and all this stuff is not going to stop the good life that God has for you. He's your protector, provider, right? 
He's everything and he loves you. Amen.